0: Hey there anglers and welcome to episode 5 of SAA Guide Talk. I'm your host and SAA guide Mitch Carter. And I'm head guide Ethan Hallfield. And I am Paul Kuchilevsky. Very good. Okay guys, so uh, our topic today, um, we're all three back in the house ready to do a topic, so we're very excited about that. Um, But the topic uh, that we have for you today is one that we're looking forward to, one that we're very passionate about. And uh, something that we want to try to get you guys hyped up about today too. So um, the topic is be proactive in conservation, um, and what the game plan is for this one today is for us to simply introduce um, something big that SA has cooking up, and I'm going to let Paul kind of deliver that to you guys, and we're going to give you guys some ways to uh, practice not, you know, conservation in your own fisheries, your own communities, and just generally being a good steward for the land. So, uh, Paul, would you like to tell the good people what we have cooking up here with with the new nonprofit? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, Looking forward to it. Thank you for the introduction. And um, so we have created, as Mitch said, a nonprofit titled SAA River Preservation Coalition. And I'll start with the mission statement Uh, It's uh, obviously a a conservation nonprofit that we've started. And the mission is to purify our rivers in western North Carolina through trash pickups, educational outreach programs, and planting trees for sediment control. Um, This nonprofit was launched in 2021, and, uh, we are super, super excited about it. Uh, we are definitely right now just still getting it off the ground, um, with our busy work schedules. It is, um, uh, uh, kind of interesting to, as far as run two different, uh, aspects of our guiding business and then also nonprofit, which we are learning a lot about. And, um, really how this started was just through our guiding right so our guiding or just our um, fishing or personal fishing so we mm-hmm. get out there see litter see trash be on the river banks or on the lake and we just did not want to see that anymore and we're kind of fed up with it so um really the main, the main goal that we can control, uh, as a team is picking up trash, right? That's the easiest, that's a topical measurement as far as cleaning the rivers. So topical is picking up the trash that we see either on riverbanks or floating either on a river or on the lake banks or floating in the lake. So, uh, our goal was to, uh, clean it up and through Really inspiration through co workers, Ethan Hollifield, and also uh, other nonprofits in the area and other businesses that we've seen uh, throughout the United States uh, doing such things. Now, we've all, all had the vision of wanting to be stewards of the environment, right? Always wanted to clean the environment up by picking up trash or helping sediment control or teaching others, which is why we were in, into guiding the benefits that picking up trash or cleaning the rivers provide whether it be cleaner water downstream uh, it can even go as far as cleaner water to uh the lakes that are hundreds of miles downstream and um also just providing uh birds fish uh Also, also, all sorts of animals, otters, bears, anything that depends on the river and depends on the fish, um, helping clean that up. So everything depends on water. Everything does depend on water. It's like they say, everything is downstream. You
0: know, we depend on water, the fish depend on water, everything in, in wildlife or in nature depends on water. Um, and our goal is to keep it nice and clean, at least in our area and, you know, encourage others to keep it clean in their area as well
1: yeah it, exactly and um before we get you know i know we're going to dive into what ethan's done last year with his amazing trash pickups uh, weekly uh, that led us to two percent for conservation we'll go into that we'll go into some other topics that you're going to cover mitch but i do want to go over that um our team saarpc has continuously pushed the envelope to be better stewards of the environment. So with doing so, I want to talk about what our funds are used for. All right. So this is the biggest thing with getting a nonprofit uh, off the ground or getting it more noticed or just being more more popular in our area. Now, our funds, all of our funds go to uh picking up trash, whether it's not paying anybody right now, right? Mm-hmm. So all of our funds go to uh, trash bags, um, all sorts of stuff that basically help us clean the environment, right? Nobody's getting paid, nobody's um, benefiting from what, uh, what we make or what is donated to us. Um, our guide service does donate a portion of every guide trip that you would take, to our nonprofit, at the end of the year, after we go through all of our uh, taxes and all that fun stuff, we get donated uh, to our nonprofit a portion of those funds, which is really really cool because it helps us be able to keep picking up trash and keep providing a healthier environment. And uh, that is one, another one of the reasons that we we created it so we can have. Basically, uh, an independent or sustainable uh, way to provide it financially to us, right? So that helps the nonprofit out. Uh, it helps you guys out. It helps uh, the rivers that you would normally fish on, whether it be from Wilson's Creek, Davidson, Catawba, Nolichucky, any of these rivers around here. Uh, French Broad, of course, we do a lot of the pickups on... The smaller rivers, smaller trout rivers that are home to us, because they're very easily accessible, and they're the first to get trashed when a flood comes through. So, um, I just want to go over that about kind of what our what our funds are used for and how they're uh, how they're allocated. Right. Um,
0: yeah. And and generally speaking, um, <clears throat> if you're a guide or an, an avid angler or a hunter, or a hiker, or whoever, um, if, if you were in the outdoors, it's not just about the activity in which you're participating in. What it's really about is for you to continue to participate and appreciate in these things, um, you have to be a steward of the land. So we couldn't fish If everything was trashed, if chemicals and, you know, nasty stuff that people dump in the river were left there, you know, if if trash was taking up too much uh, environment and habitat, you know, wildlife doesn't stick around for that. So, you know, not great for hunting. It's not great for fishing, you know, uh, people displacing trash in, in places where it's not supposed to be is well obviously generally a very bad thing uh in the environment and you know the the thing about it is is you like i say it's it's not to us it's not enough to just go out and enjoy it right obviously we do that's a big part of what we do that's a big reason why we guide and why we love to fish and you know all the above but to us it's more than just going out and enjoying it it's being a steward of the land and i know there's there's guides all across the country Um, and if they're using, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, if they're using the right judgment and, and they're, (laughs) I don't want to say of sound mind, but if they're doing the right thing as a guide, then they should also be a steward of the land. Um, you know, you should always be not only worried about like the mortality rate of your, your fish and, you know, the health of, of other, you know, species and stuff like that, but you should also be worried about things such as, you know, just, um, obscene volumes of trash in wherever, you know, fishery or, or habitat or forest or park or whatever that you would like to enjoy. Um, and also, you know, just kind of keeping in mind that, and I tell people this on my demos or I've started telling my people this on demos a lot, the the most healthy places in nature are places that have not been tampered with by people. Um, Whether that be development, whether that be too much trash, whether that be, you know, clear cutting for this or that or whatever else, um, things are better left untouched in nature, Mm -hmm. right? So um, we've all been good stewards of the land, right? I was taught, I was brought up to, you know, pack it out wherever you go, you know, always pack out more than what you brought in if you have the means, Right and you know i'm not saying that every time you go out and fish and you spend five hours picking up trash afterwards if you did that would be really awesome but even just doing like the little things right um so one one thing that and i'm working on a video for these right now but like one little thing that i've started doing is fish pond makes a product called the pyopod it's called the packet out pod and it's just a little mini trash can that clips to your fishing pack or, you know, stays in your truck or stays on your boat, wherever you want to do it. And simply just, you know, not letting your fishing line go through the self bailing of your raft and simply not just clipping your tag ends into the river and, you know, just letting them fall. Like even the little things, you know, being able to pack it out. So like I bought those little pile pods so that I can always be sure that I'm always packing out old baits and old jig heads and old flies and old line and copenhagen cans and chip bags and you know everything else so um it's it's the little stuff so it's it's not always going out and doing a you know a big river cleanup like like what we like to do um but you know the more that you think about it the more that you do it it's more about the little things and i say little things but those little things over time they add up right um you know if everybody continuously you know and you, you see this a lot on really you know highly trafficked rivers It's as little as doing the best you can to get your flies out of a tree, right? I mean, how many popular trout streams do we go to where you look up in a tree and there's just flies all over the place? Like I know on the Davidson, there's one hole in particular. It's this really nice hole um, that me and Ethan call the bathtub hole, (laughs) (laughs) but we call it the bathtub hole because it's really deep and sets up really nice for trout. But what's right over the top of the bathtub hole, Ethan? A tree that's got probably how many flies in it? A lot. And, a lot <laughs> and they're not you
2: know when we think about flies too we think about um a lot of them being tied out of natural materials and of course like you know metal is going to biodegrade as well so a lot of people don't really think mm-hmm. about it but with the advent of like synthetic material especially material like squirming worms for example oh yeah um, the, those and i'm actually pulled up just a little bit of tidbits information here so i can get my facts straight um you know stuff like that takes a long time to degrade so the reason why you know everyone talks about that you know trash is bad for the environment but not a lot of people understand why especially in aquatic ecosystems right so i'll touch on that a little bit here as well um to put it in perspective when we use like a water bottle or like a plastic bottle for example because that's something everyone's familiar with right when we do our trash pickups it's like the number one item i think we find out of anything or just plastic drink bottles like coke bottles pepsi bottles water bottles whatever right mm-hmm. um they're very portable and well the thing with plastic in general is that plastic, especially a water bottle, floats most of the time. So it's easily transported from one part of a stream to another. Um, fun fact, it takes a plastic bottle, at least according to a quick Google search, and I think this depends on what type of plastic is made out of, because not every plastic is the same, anywhere from a 100 to a 1,000 years to compose, with the average rate being about 500 years. And when it says decompose, it's not really um Meaning decompose in like the traditional sense of like we think like an apple core or something like rotting in the woods, right? You throw out when you go on your hike. Um, plastic, what it does is it it breaks down into what we call microplastics, right? And there's been a lot of studies on this done in like marine environments. You know, we've all heard of like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, quote unquote. It's like in the Pacific Ocean, um, and what it is, it's not like just an island of like floating whole plastic bottles. Um, when sunlight hits plastic, it breaks it down into Different chemical compounds, um, but it also just breaks down to just much smaller pieces, right? And so those smaller little bits of plastic are really what uh, environmentalists are worried about because those can be easily ingested by fish, by other aquatic critters. Uh, Amphibians are really susceptible to it. And here's another little tidbit for it. Um, Some of these uh, chemicals that plastics are made out of mimic different hormones in... Um, biotic organisms right so I, I can't remember the study and i don't and someone can correct me on this if you're listening and you know what i'm talking about but there was a study that was done somewhere outside of the city of chicago on a on like a little stream it ran through there i wouldn't even call it that i think it had been developed so much that the stream was basically just non-existent at this point and but drainage ditch yeah but like there it was enough to where there was still some aquatic life in their mainland amphibians right Fun fact about amphibians, most of them breathe through their skin, right? So they're able to absorb, like, you know, various chemical traits in the water, right? So we use, well, in the biological world, we call that an indicator species, right? So, like, hellbenders are a great example. Like, hellbenders that we find our trout fishers here require extremely clean water. They can't tolerate any sort of pollution.
0: Hellbenders being the giant salamanders. Giant salamanders. There's also called mud puppies. Yeah, there's, like, three or four different names for
2: them. So with that being said... You can use those amphibians to kind of determine water quality based on their population size, right? And one thing that the study did is they went through and they started looking at this uh, this population of frogs that was found in this like drainage ditch or whatever. I can't remember the species of frog. I'll have to go back and read up on the study. But what was interesting is that they noticed that throughout the years of looking at this population of critter. Is that all of a sudden the female population spiked out of nowhere. The male population crashed. And then the population ultimately crashed down to almost nothing. And they were trying to figure out why. Well, as it turns out, some of these chemical components can actually mimic the hormone estrogen. Mm -hmm. So when it gets in... Well, it's not estrogen, but it mimics the hormone estrogen once it gets into a biotic organism. So, and biotic just means a, a living thing. Just fun fact of the day as well. But what that translates into is that you know we don't really know the longer short of it is i guess is that we don't really know what these things do once i get into a living thing um because there's not really been a lot of research done on it and to put it in some perspective uh according to another quick google search let's see over 583 billion plastic bottles were produced in 2021 as an estimate mm-hmm. and I can guarantee you that not every single one of those got at least on a way into a landfill or put in a recycling bin
0: whatsoever. And
2: I'll, I'll save my rant on recycling for another day, but, um, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And there's been a lot of studies done on marine organisms and how it affects like the ocean. Like we all hear about like how trash is horrible for the ocean, but there when you Google, like, um, any sort of studies that have been done on freshwater ecosystems, there's not really much, right? And that's kind of why one of the inspirations for starting this nonprofit was trying to combat this stuff. I mean, regardless of what it does or doesn't do, um, because it could turn out in 100 years from now, maybe this stuff doesn't have as bad of an impact as we think it does, right? And that would be great if it does. But we don't know. And with it being said, like Mitch was saying, it's just unsightly in general anyway. No one wants to see, you know, your rundown trolling motor fishing a lake with a crankbait and you just see trash floating everywhere right because i mean how many times have you hung like a piece of trash fishing in a lake right i mean I've, I've been to some real nasty spots before and you just go along like a cove
0: and it's just filled to the brim yeah. with debris floating on top most of it being trash lakes after floods are nasty a really big indicator of just how much trash is being put downstream and not all trash you know, just washes into the lake. Like, it's not a self-cleaning thing. Mm-hmm. But a trash, you know, tr- a bunch of trash in the lake is a really good indicator of just how much can just simply get washed downstream and then into the lake. And, I mean, you know, the way that these drainages work is all, all streams lead to the ocean, mm-hmm. right? And it just gets, it can, it, it just, it goes all the way down the drainage, and there's just trash everywhere. Not to mention the trash that's being added on a specific reservoir or river or whatever. Like it it just all adds up while there's also still trash being thrown out and being dumped on the bodies of water themselves. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you were talking about, and this is kind of the creepy part. um, You were talking about how um, the amphibians and uh, chemicals mimicking the mimicking estrogen essentially right yes and there's
2: there's other things that these chemicals can do as well um yeah it, it because i mean plastic is a byproduct or a product of oil right? petroleum i mean that's what plastics made out of so and again it's still not really known what these things do once they get in a living organism but it even doesn't have to like I i've found like and doing these trash pickups i can't tell you how many like dead salamanders and frogs i've 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 found just dead and i don't think it was from like some chemical leaking out into it they just got like trapped in like a plastic bottle and couldn't get out yeah right because a lot of these drainage dishes on the side of the road um here's another little fun tidbit for today um in the springtime amphibians will find what they call an ephemeral pool right it's a it's a body of water that's not uh filled with water for the entirety of the year. So when you get heavy spring rains, you know, these places like drainage ditches on the side of the road, like on Shelton, for example, mm-hmm. uh, they fill up with water, they stay wet and it makes a great spawning area for frogs, salamanders. I mean, we go by those places all the time. Like even just the little side ditches in the river, you see tons mm-hmm. of tadpoles in there in the spring and mm-hmm. early summer. Um, and those are the places like after a flood, you know, when you think about high water, plastic floats, so it's going to float down the river and then it's going to eddy out basically in a back eddy, which is usually up on the side of the bank. As the water recedes, it's going to just basically plant all the plastic right there. Um, and again, I found a lot of dead critters just laying in, trapped in this stuff that I guess they couldn't get out and they just eventually died there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're home again, the fun fact of the day, to... Actually, just discovered a new species of salamander here, so that's up to 271 species of salamanders in North Carolina. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. The
0: day. Yeah, yeah. Do. Mm-hmm. and what I was saying too, as far as um, it just having a having an effect on humans, mm-hmm. um, there's a study that shows where humans consume at least one credit card of microplastics every single week, one whole just debit card credit card whatever full of microplastics and there's been some research has came out about this and um i was listening to a podcast um where um it was joe rogan experience (laughs) and rogan had on a doctor called uh her name is dr shanna swan Mm -hmm. and she is a american environmental and reproductive epidemiologist Um, who is a professor of environmental medicine and public health at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Um, And she came out with a study that showed that phthalates in microplastics Mm -hmm. are actually um, harming the reproductive systems of the human race basically all over the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, like you were talking about how it reproduct or affects the reproductive system of of amphibians, like even, you know, we think that we're just completely out of the loop here too. We're still living things as well. Right. So these things affect us too. Yes. Um, but more pertaining to the, uh, to the topic of, of water and, and trash pickups and guys, like I say, it's, it's not just a matter of, of making things look pretty, right? Everything that looks most the most natural and there's no trash on it. obviously it looks pretty. but a lot of it too is you know things can't just things simply just can't live and survive in trash, right. I mean, yeah, some things do, but you know and, and get by with it, but it it hurts way more. It definitely doesn't help. Mm-hmm. that's for sure. Um, and like I say, it you know people think, oh, this little three-inch thing, a a seven X that I clip off and just let fall into the river isn't going to hurt much. Well, it's not. But if everybody does that over time and over time and you know time and time again, uh, it starts to add up and it becomes a huge detriment.
2: So well, with that being said, here let's uh let's let's talk about this. So. Monofilament line, according to a quick Google search, anyway, takes around 600 years to break down mm-hmm. in the water, and I think
0: fluorocarbon is a lot longer. Fluorocarbon was like 4,000 years. 4,000 years, okay. Yeah, somewhere around in there. It, it, regardless, it's a very long time. Right.
2: Um. And I think what's important to note as well is that, um, and one of the, our inspirations for starting a nonprofit and doing all this anyway was that you know we're this is our home number one. I mean we're all local to here. And number one, we don't like seeing our home being trashed. You know, I think it was a big motivator for that us. Spurred yeah. it. Spurred oh, it. Yeah. It, I mean, because yeah. we saw like with uh, increased volumes of traffic, just more trash in places that we weren't ever seeing. I mean, the trout stream that shall not be named, me and Mitch go on quite a bit, is extremely remote. And even that place, as, as pristine as it is, and it's about as pristine as a trout stream as you can get, there's still trash on it. Like yeah. I still find stuff, random stuff up there all the time. Yeah. Um But in addition to that as well, uh, kind of like how Mitch was saying the, we all have an impact on like, whether it's catching a fish and we'll, and we'll talk about a little bit, like, you know, what you can do in terms of like for yourself, you know, releasing fish properly is a big thing. Part of that. Um, but you know, every time you catch a fish and you're stretching a fish out, that's potential for a fish to die. That's kind of the harsh reality of what we do as fishing right now with that being said, um, if you do everything properly, the survival rate of like, let's say, a trout in like fifty-five degree water is still like ninety-nine percent of it as long as it's released correctly, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, we all, whether you're a hunter, fisherman, even hiking. Um, you know, when I did trail work for Grandfather Mountain State Park, uh trail compaction was a big issue because trail compaction leads to erosion, um, excess amounts of erosion. Uh there was some other study I was reading about how the excess volume of hikers in a national park in Colorado. I cannot remember this. I need to look up the study later, but there's a national park somewhere in Colorado. It had seen an increased amount of traffic on it, human traffic, right? And it messed up the migration patterns of elk herds. Yeah. Right. So even if it's just something as hiking, we have to remember that we're still, we're still in an animals environment, right? And Mm -hmm. we need to try to do as much as we can to sort of litigate the, effects that we have on it. Now, I'm not saying, like, don't go hike, don't go hunt, don't go fish. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, because, Lord, I couldn't imagine my life without going fishing, right? <laughs> it would be pretty awful. Um, not but, sure you know, there's, would be right now. There's things that need to be recognized so that way we can ensure that these things last for the future, mm-hmm. right? Especially for around here because, like Mitch was saying, you know, our watershed here, the French bra, the Nolichucky, where we predominantly got on, and the Catawba, and the new river drainage to a certain extent, and everywhere in the Smokies, that's like the, the headwater portions for the majority of, at least for, in the case of the French and the Noble Chucky, that's like the two major feeders for the Tennessee river system, right? Mm-hmm. That, that supply water for millions of people downstream. I mean, you're talking everywhere in Knoxville. Um, like Gunnersville, like all of our water eventually flows into Gunnersville and like Huntsville, Alabama. Yep. And all of going all through the Mississippi River drainage, that's millions of people that are gonna be affected. Yep. If it's dirty up here, it'll be even worse for those folks down there. Yeah. So right. And again, that's kind of a some of the big motivators behind why we do the things that we do, or at least try to anyway. Right. So
0: mm-hmm. um on that note, Ethan, um, as far as you know, getting back to the nonprofit goes and and another reason why we were so motivated to do it. Um, your experience, you know, working through 2% for conservation mm-hmm. and being kind of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Being kind of the, uh, I guess the the pilgrim or <laughs> <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for here? Being being the one who essentially put conservation, I wouldn't say put it on the map, but, you know, you, you made a really big name for, uh, you know, practicing conservation in the area, uh, for yourself. Um, and it inspired Paul and I to kind of follow up and do the same thing Mm -hmm. and help you out. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, how did you get started with 2%? Why did you get started with 2%? You probably already a little bit, went a little bit over, you know, about the why. Sure. Um, but just, you know, some of your experience with your trash pickup, some goals that you've had, some goals that you've achieved, you know, just right. No,
2: Um, I'll give a little bit of background about 2%. So 2% is a national organization that they're they're basically their the idea behind it is give 1% of your time and then 1% of your monetary earnings towards something towards conservation. So that's 2% of basically like yourself, right? And it's a great idea because I mean, you know, not everyone has the time because I mean we got lives, we got families, you know, things of that nature and not everyone's got the time to just casually go out and pick up like a thousand bags of trash. Right. And for some people that's really unfeasible. So the idea behind 2% was to, for the average person, right. To be able to go out and basically protect the areas that they enjoyed. um, With, I wouldn't say minimal effort. That's not the word I'm looking for, but with, with what they could give some, some, what, what they were able to give and a little bit just goes a long way. So, I, I found that organization back in 2019, I think it was, and I joined it as an individual member because I thought it was a really cool idea, and I saw, you know, I started digging around through their website and on social media, and I saw some of these guys and gals that were members of it and all the cool things that they did, and they were going out and doing, like, um, like doing, like, surveys on, like, pronghorn sheep populations out west and stuff like that, which is really cool. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I could probably do something like that around here. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, you know, I don't really have the time guiding to just go out and casually survey deer populations or whatever. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about <laughs> what I could do. And I was like, well, I can pick up trash. Anybody can pick up trash. And that's something that we had done before in the past. I mean, it's not like we'd never done it. It's just, you know, it wasn't a... It was never to the extent that Never to the did extent, it. right? So, I mean, we would go out and pick up trash... But it would be like one or two times a year. You know, just when we were on guide trips, we pick up what we saw mm-hmm. on the banks, you know. And so what I did, I was like, all right, I'm going to set a goal for myself to go out at least once a week, at least once a week, and pick up at least one 33-gallon bags worth of trash. And the reason why I picked 33-gallon bags because that's what I bought at Walmart, to be honest with you. I just grabbed a 33-gallon bag, and I was like, okay, we're going to start with this. Yep. And I thought it was going to be kind of difficult, to be honest with you. I was like, yeah, I, 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 I did not think I was going to be able to – to pick up, like, a 33-gallon bag's worth of trash in, like, one afternoon, right? And I remember the first time I did it. I went to the river, North Oat River that flows through the town of Spruce Pine where I grew up. And I was like, I'll just start here. And I started going around the delayed harvest section there. And within an hour and a half, I already filled up three of them. Um, and in one spot, I'd found where someone dumped, and this had probably been years ago, but, I mean, I must have counted 50 Bud Light cans <laughs> that yeah. were just laying there. and It's like, why? And then I kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I was like, okay, well, this is a lot. Maybe it's just in this one spot. But I, what I did as well, for me to back up a little bit, what I also was doing with this as well, I wasn't just picking up trash, I was also counting what I picked up. So I was, I was counting particularly how many pieces of plastic I picked up um, and then counting a the number of bags of trash I picked up in addition to that, and I kept it all in a little spreadsheet. So I was like, okay, well, here's the suction river I picked up. Here's how many bags I got. Here's how many, roughly how many pieces of plastic. is an approximation because I was counting in my head, so it's not super exact, but it was a pretty good estimate. And then I'd note down like any other random stuff that I'd find, like you know, like a bottle of Motorola or like a transmission fluid or something like that or whatever. And throughout the year, I started doing that, and every place I went to, which were most of the places I got it on, because I was most familiar with them. I would start looking and it was just obscene how much trash I was finding. Yeah. Like it There's was just
0: so much caked into it. Like, I mean, hidden underneath the surface layer, I guess you could call it. There's right, just so much trash just in, in the stuff. Like
2: it's been caked there
0: over the years. Right. There. right. Yeah. And I was going through and
2: I remember one day I've f- I had to make two trips to the landfill with my Tacoma. Cause like my Tacoma just couldn't handle the volume of, Trash that I was picking up. Simply couldn't, yeah. And I was like, my gosh, there's a lot through here. And it never, like, it blew my mind. It was just something that, you know, unless you go looking for it, you don't sometimes notice it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you're fishing, I mean, your focus most of the time is on fishing, right? And you might see, like, a random bottle when you're walking on the bank or something like that. But when you really start looking for it, it can sometimes be depressing how much you can find, to be quite honest with you. But long and short of it is, I went through that that entire year. And I dragged like Paul here and Mitch here to come help me out with it a couple of times. And, um, at the end of it, I ended up with over 10,000 pieces of plastic approximately that I picked up for that year. And I think like, mm, pushing over a hundred and something trash bags worth. And that again, opened I think all of our eyes to like, oh my gosh, there's like a ton of it here. And this, this ain't good. Like we need to, we need to figure out something to combat this. And then I remember I came back to the, the shop uh, one day in the winter time, and me and Paul sat down and then, um, he was like, man, like, what do you think about starting a nonprofit, Like, you know, really try to get this off the ground and try to combat some of the stuff that we're seeing. I was like, dude, yep. let's do it. And so that's what led to the creation of a nonprofit. And um, so far it's been, like I said, we're still kind of getting it off the ground a little bit, but it's been otherwise outstanding. And like I said, it was a really big eye-opener, I think, for all of us because unless you go looking for it, like I said, you just don't really notice it that Mm -hmm. much. And like Mitch was saying, too, there's been so much of it caked in the substrate over the years. And that's one thing that, you know, the more I did it, the more I was kind of curious. I was like, all right, where is this coming from? Because I was like, you know, it's great to pick up trash, but unless you cut the head off a snake, it's just going to keep coming back, right? Right. And the best I can figure, and y'all can agree with me or not on this, but the best I can figure most of what we're seeing, um, because the thing that the way our river systems work, you know, way back in the olden days, um, when our mountains were first settled, a lot of the old logging roads, railroads, things like that were built along rivers because that was the flattest ground that was available. That was the easiest to traverse. So a lot of our roadways follow a lot of river systems, right? So my thoughts are that it's people maybe with no ill will or intention whatsoever. Like, I'm not saying there's, like, horrible, terrible people just going out and be like, hey, here's a water bottle. Like, heck with these fish, right? Uh, you know, I think it's more of just out of convenience more than anything. They have a bottle that's empty in their car, or it's like a wrapper, or, you know, something yeah. along those lines, and then they just toss the other window without thinking about it. I think it's just going to go away.
0: Well, that's... I mean... <laughs> I, I would say that's, like, 90% yeah. of,
2: like, the trash we're finding is just roadside trash. And the other... The other is from major flooding, right? I would and, say.
0: Yeah, it just kind of like boggles my mind, though, how you could just be riding by a river and be like, "Yep, see you later, water well, bottle." Like, you know, I think, and I think a lot of it too, to add to what you were saying, mm-hmm. is, you know, not m- really malicious intent, and it's convenient. It's convenience, but I think it's just a lot of laziness. Like laziness too. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to clean out my truck later, so I'm just going to throw out 50 Bud Light cans. And or, there is some dumping that occurs, and what right. what we
2: found through doing this is like the areas you see the no dumping signs at. That's always the places that are yeah, the that's most always trash. Always the places it's the worst. always the places that are yeah. the worst. Um, and you know, I think that you go throughout anywhere in the country or the world, and you're gonna find there's there's always gonna be folks that are gonna do that, regardless of whatever, right? But one of our goals overall, whether we're guiding or with a nonprofit, is to also educate people. Is to like you know, these, these places we got on, we fish at can't exist unless we do our part to protect them. Right. Um, and you know, kind of leading to one of our talking points here, there's also a lot of things that we can do, you know, or y'all can do the ones that are listening here. Y'all can, there's a lot you can do just as an everyday angler or hunter or hiker to help protect these places. One of those being just simply pick up trash. And I'm not talking like, you know, don't carry a whole lawn trash bag out there with you. But, yeah. like, if you see, like, a water bottle, just pick it up. I mean, the thing with water bottles that you can compress them down and crush them up into nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't take anything to really pack one out. Yeah. Um, now, granted, there's there's a limit to that, of course. I mean, you obviously don't want to go through and see, like, something just rancid and, and try to yeah. pick it out. You know, you got to kind of think about.
0: drug paraphernalia. Yes. Or anything. Um, anything you along those lines, use you know. You know, you want to be safe. You want right. to, you know, use common sense. Use your own, discri- you know, discretion as to whether or whether or not you can handle that. A lot of that comes with just simply knowing how to dispose of those items. And some um, people don't know. And if yeah, you, and if that's you question
2: you know, it. You shouldn't do it. Right. I mean, there's yeah. There were several times like we would go out and pick trash, and we would find something. And we're like, all right, we're not even going to touch all that all the right? time. Yeah, and. You know, it's an unfortunate part of it, but...
0: There's a line you have to draw.
2: You have to think about your own personal safety with this, too. So if you do decide to go pick up trash on your own, which is great, I encourage everyone listening to do so, also use some common sense with it as well. Like, don't, don't go picking up just... Like rusty shards of metal with your bare hand or something right. like that,
0: and use gloves. Yes, all the time.
2: Handy little grabbers yep. are like the best thing in the world.
0: Yep, um, little uh, they'll save your back. Trust me from experience. Right, little grabbers, little you know, sharp spears like little pokers, frog diggers, frog-, frog gigging sticks. Yeah. <laughs> frog giggers, you beat yep. me to it. Yeah, frog digging sticks, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, just there. There's a few different ways. You know, a few. I wouldn't even call them investments. More like things that you can just pick up to make your life easier when you do trash pickups. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, kind of like what Ethan was saying, you know, you don't have to go out there with a 33-gallon bag of trash every time you fish, and you're like, all right, I need to fill this bag up. (laughs) Like, it's just one of those things that on your way out, if you see some trash. Fill up a nut. Yeah, fill up a net, Fill up a nut. Yeah, I I can tell you many times. a classic example. Yeah, Yeah. I've done that so many times on guide trips. We're walking down a trail, you know, our client's at the end of a day, and I'll just see trash on the side of the road or on the side of the trail, throw it in the net. You go to the campground trash can, dump it in there. It's easy as that. Like mm-hmm. that it's literally just, you know, the the little things. Like we say you don't, you know, not trying to guilt trip you into picking up trash every time you want to just have a nice relaxing time fishing because picking up trash can be work, and we encourage you to do that work, but it doesn't always have to be, you know, a big extensive thing that you set out to do every time you go fish, right? right. It can be just the little things. Mm-hmm. Um although Again, the whole reason behind us starting the nonprofit and the whole reason, you know, Ethan did his started his whole thing with 2% and everything um, was really just the noble effort of trying to pick up as much trash as we can and purify the rivers and keep them in as much of a natural and pure state as we possibly can. Yes. Right. And I will
2: say there's some places that I've noticed a pretty good change (laughs) on the French broads. A great example. Right. Yeah. And, And the French broad is a pretty big success story overall. Um, and it wasn't it just from us. I mean, there's other nonprofits that go out there and do trash. Lots all of the great nonprofits. It's great. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed over the years that the French is like exceedingly cleaner than what it used to be when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like when I was growing up, you could spit in the French broad and it turned chocolate milk for a week. Right. Yeah. And you know, one thing too that kind of, I'll, I'll tell you all this story here a little bit. This is kind of a sad story, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> there was a, I remember floating down, um, I remember floating down the French Broad. I was doing a like Instagram takeover for 2% that one day. Oh, yeah. I think I was following behind Paul on a trip or something, but I was floating down in one of our rafts and I would go through on the bank and like get these bits of trash that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get to. And one of the things that really kind of blew my mind was I was watching a family of like six or seven ducklings and a mom is a mallard. And they were swimming and feeding in like a back eddy just festering with like trash in it. Yeah. And it was like one of the most depressing things I ever saw. And I went through there and spooked them all out and cleaned it up as best I could. Um, and, and that's another thing, too, is that it's, it, it's kind of at the point with as much trash as some, in some places that's out there is that you're not going to get every single bit of it at this point. But what you can get is a lot better than not getting anything at all. And it's not even just about picking up trash, too. I'll, I'll throw this little tidbit in here as well, because I, I get asked, you know, what else can I do? Aside from picking up trash. It's a mm-hmm. great question. Um, the number one pollutant to river systems in North Carolina is, does anybody know, pop quiz of the day? It's not trash, actually.
1: Um, number one pollutant?
2: Number one pollutant is dirt. It's sediment. Oh, is sediment. Yeah. Sediment. So I feel like I knew that sediment runoff. That's, that's another <laughs> one of our long-term goals. Like Paul said, with like plant trees for erosion control, um, sediment is a big, big pollutant to water systems here. Um, especially for trout streams. Um, once a trout stream gets inundated with sediment, this could be from development, um, erosion on the banks where tree cover is removed. Cause the thing with trees, and here's another little bit of my science corner for today. But trees and and riparian vegetation, like, I'll throw off some random ones here, like silky dogwood, sycamores, black walnuts, um, those trees, what they do is interlock, and all plants, really, and this is how they survive floods, which is really cool, uh, they all interlock their root systems together. So, like, when you're on a trout stream, you'll notice, like, the bank is always really rooty, and the reason why is because those trees are rooting, they're interlocking the root systems together like a big spider web, and that helps basically it's like they're all locking arms with each other basically so when a flood comes through they all don't get ripped out right right? and that also helps prevent the sediment from washing away now the reason why sediment's bad is because i mean what's sediment made out of just made out of little bits of rock right that have been basically eroded away over the eons of time yeah you know like little pebbles things that nature but when that gets in the water a couple different things happen um one of them being, since they are, since sediment, especially around here, is made of rock for the most part, um, rock, even underwater, will heat up, right? When you get excess sediment in the water, that leads to massive temperature fluctuations that, in the case of trout, I mean, we talked about this the other day, you mm-hmm. know, is the trout are very sensitive to water temperature, and if the water temperature heats up too much, you can stress them out and kill them, right? And, you know, when you have excess sediment, that also causes that. It also covers up the stream bed, uh, kills off all the aquatic insects that trout eat um there's a trout stream up in boone that was a good example of that it used to be a really productive trout stream and then an apartment complex got built on the headwaters of it they clear cut and flattened the top of the mountain as a result of that it depopulated the entire trout stream and now it's basically void of life um, right and there's plenty of examples of all that um
0: and another river very close to that same yes, thing. same thing yeah
2: Um, So development is a big issue. And there's not a lot, you know, honestly, that the average person can really necessarily do about that. Um, But another thing, too, as far as like sediment runoff, um, when you have organic matter like soil, right, Um, it's just like algae blooms in a pond, for example, right? When rotting vegetation or rotting dirt or soil or whatever gets into the water, um, bacteria that eat that, they absorb all the oxygen, right? And so it basically creates dead zones just like it does in a pond or in a lake, and that also can be very detrimental to aquatic organisms in there. Um, so if you do own a piece of property next to a stream, whether it's a little drainage ditch or a big river or whatever, simply don't clear cut it. Right. Now, that's one of the biggest things you can do. Leave the tree cover there. The tree cover is one of the best things you can have. And that'll keep it clean for all downriver. Because, I mean, how many times have we seen it where we've, like, driven by a river, you know, we're always checking water to see if places are muddy or not after rain. And you'll see like a mud line form where someone's property has been clear cut and the banks eroded out into an incised bank. Mm-hmm. And then it's all just one big mud line flowing down yeah. afterwards and the rest of the blown out. Because
0: they took out that riparian zone. Exactly. And I remember one of the thing one of the ways that Ethan explained this to me is like, you know, you want to take part in keeping a trout stream healthy? Well, just don't mow your lawn all the way to the creek. Like save yourself some and keep some nope. of that riparian zone there, <laughs> and it doesn't like you
2: know there there's a there's give and take with it as well. Um, like I understand like if you have a, if you have like a tree, let's say that's like right next to a creek and it's getting ready to fall down your house. Yeah, I no, mean there's you only know, there's, so much you can do. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, you know you got to be reasonable with it. You of have course.
0: to be yeah you, you have to be reasonable. Right. But.
2: So I mean that's that's one thing right Right. i'm not saying don't be reasonable with it but what i am saying is you know the less of an impact you can have overall the better off everything is Mm -hmm. um and and it's just little things like that and you know you might think that just um you as one person can't make much of a difference but if you and you and you and you and everybody else starts doing it then that starts making a huge impact on everything Mm, else Um, which is again one of the reasons why we're trying to get this non-profit off the ground and, and make have more proactive effort and everything is to try to, in in essence, save our home to right. a certain degree, right. Yeah. Or, or to help to ensure that, you know, our children, our grandkids, you know, other people can come out here and enjoy these fisheries for, for years to come.
0: Right. And that's the thing about it too, you know, is, I've, there's been so many generations that I wouldn't say have been selfish in that fact, but maybe just, you know, people are more educated now more than ever, Mm -hmm. right? There's, it's really not that hard to research things anymore. You Mm -hmm. don't have to drive to the library. You don't have to pick out books. You have the internet right Mm -hmm. there in front of your face. You have all this data. You have all these things, um, you know, podcasts and videos and whatever else that, you know, that you can assume to, to help give yourself an education on these things essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And, And like I say, just, you know, there's been so many generations where they just simply weren't educated on these things, and they were just kind of figuring them out how that as it went. But now that we know the effects of of you know what they were doing in the past, and you know, un I wouldn't say unethical, but environmentally detrimental practices of you know land mismanagement and trash mismanagement and you know uh, stream mismanagement and stuff like that. Well, we saw we've seen the results of that, but. The thing that we have to do now in this generation more than any other generation before us is, okay, now that we know this, let's not do the things that destroy these habitats right. and destroy these streams.
2: And and I will say that our our, our whole area as a, as a whole, with a grain of salt thrown into this, our river systems are a lot better than what they were 50 years ago. For sure. I will say that because I yeah. remember my grandparents, um, they remember a time when like, the river they lived by, which had a lot of mine runoff, it flowed white. Yeah. And they didn't know the river was supposed to be any color other than white. Yeah. Because they would just dump the mine tailings in the river. Yep. Right. And now you never see that. now you never we see We never it. saw that in our lifetime. No. No. And it's just like with the French broad, for example. Yep. Like the French broad when I remember growing up, it was heavily inundated with sediment, lots of trash, and now lots it's... Lots of trash. It, You notice how it clears up much faster now, and yep. it seems like yeah. every year it clears up a little bit faster, a little bit faster, and that's due to a lot of hard work, like I said, from a lot of good people, you know, working on it, but it's, you know, talking about this stuff, one thing I've found is that sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming with the doom and gloom aspect of it, um, yeah. and, you know, that's, again, where people think that their little part of it ain't going to make a difference, but... I will say that in some aspects, things are getting better, and we need to keep pushing it towards that direction. You can't; it's not good to be all doom and gloom and like you know the world's just going to go to hell in a handbasket, right? Yeah, Yeah. you know you have to; you want to be proactive in it, and you want to do the right thing. But like I said, if everyone does it, good things are going to happen, right? So,
1: right, and that's go ahead. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of. You know, a lot of people look at it like, oh yeah, it's just you know a bunch of negativity and a bunch of guys. Right. No, we want to be positive or, about it, right? Yeah. There's no negativity with it. There's nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with just picking up picking up trash. Right. I'm I'll, I'll, talking about you know fisheries getting better. There has I've I've been not doing research, but like keeping track of fisheries that have been doing better mm-hmm. throughout the years, and I mean lakes. Um, talk about Kissimmee down in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about uh, other than the spraying of the grass in Okeechobee, which I have actually did see, um, a lake in California. They had a big mower out on, like, tubes what? in the lake. And instead of spraying the grass to so get rid of it. Mowing the grass mowing, in the lake. Like, weeding, <laughs> weeding wow. the grass in the lake. Saw that's a video crazy. of it the other day. Wow,
2: that's really cool. Yeah,
1: huh. so, you know, wow. it, other than, you know, that'll, obviously, you'll push the bass out, but it's not going to kill the fish. No. Uh, St. No. Lawrence River uh lake erie mm-hmm. like all these and french broad well lake erie um, is a
2: classic example it's a great example of how because lake erie had like massive algae blooms in it because it was so it shallow was, and yeah
1: and it was awful polluted mm-hmm.
2: now yeah. like i mean casein miss like, but like casein mm-hmm. he goes out there and catches really good smallmouth out there every yeah, year at lake it was erie like erie 10
1: now. 10 years ago um some some girl i knew in college her i think it was like her uh, no it might have been like a project she was doing or something or her, her parents lived up there or something but she was telling us I always wanted to go to Erie mm-hmm. you know back back in the day I was just wanting to go to a great lake because I was like that's so I was infatuated with just like a huge fishery of just mm-hmm. yeah. shoals and stuff and she's like yeah it's an awful fishery it's the worst <laughs> it's like it's so polluted there's no fish and so and I've read some stuff but a lot of these fisheries are getting better and better and whether that be us seeing it from guiding on it mm-hmm. right bigger fish year after year tournaments bigger weights year after year mm-hmm. so a ton of positivity absolutely yeah you know? i mean it's
2: easy to look at the negative sides of it like you can yeah. read i mean you can read news articles all the time about how like there was a a mind spill off in this river or like this lake is in a severe drought and all the fish are dead yeah. right i mean it's easy to look at that stuff and think that everything else is just going to crap but yeah you know there's also
0: a lot of good stuff happening there. The envelope right. has definitely been pushed in the right direction. Yes. I would say within like the last two, maybe three decades, things have been very much pushed in the right direction as far as conservation goes. And there, like mm-hmm. Ethan said, just in our little area, there's been so many things that have changed, um, for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's not, it's not all bad stuff, no. you know? And, and like I say, I feel like, right now this generation of anglers and hunters and really just people right now this generation of people are you know we were it was really really bad for a really long time right humans mess things up a lot for a really long time and they're slowly getting better and I feel like now we're, we're, we're this generation of folks are at the tipping point to where things are going to start getting a little bit better because yeah. I mean you know it's like We're recognizing all these problems, you know, just pollution in the ocean, pollution in the rivers, pollutions in the lakes. And there's been so many studies and things that come out about, you know, what it does, why it's so, excuse me, why it's so bad and everything else. It's just, you know, it. people, a lot of folks are educated and out of the point to where they're going to think twice, you know, before they, you know, just inherently or, you know, just pollute. Right. You know what I mean? Or just dump trash or or leave trash or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, But, yeah, that's – like I say, things are looking up. <laughs> um, and, you know, even – there's a lot of places where things aren't quite so looking up. And there's, you know, a lot of places that, you know, due to recent development and events and pollutions and stuff like that, there's been a lot of stuff, like Ethan said, there's two fisheries that we know of in, you know, the northwestern part of the state that have just – or avoid like a, a shell of what they used to be right simply because of the pollution and the sediment runoff and the you know the sunlight exposure due to development and you know the taking away of the riparian zone and, and everything mm. else I mean it's it's things that people that people used to not think about you know and like one thing that I one thing that I tell people a lot of too is you know they're like well like what's one of the biggest, factors of killing a trout stream and I say development right trash is a big part of it development's also a really big part of it mm-hmm. um, and the thing is is you know we love people coming up here and seeing the mountains you know my whole life people from down south people from everywhere come here in the summertime and they check it out and they love it and that's great Um, there's a lot of folks that have moved here because of that. I'm first generation North Carolina here. I mean, I grew up here and I fished here and everything else, but you know, my folks liked it good enough to move here. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here. Um, so I don't really have a dog in this race. I can't, you know, to say, Oh, we don't want you here or whatever, but I have no problem with people, you know, buying houses here, moving here. Um, you know, have even having a vacation home here. Like that's fine. But the thing, the thing that we see a lot of now, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but the thing that we see a lot of now is just what I call gross overdevelopment where, you know, somebody will buy like 200 acres of land, you know, that 200 acres is pristine, wild, natural habitat, might have a brick trout stream or two running through it. Um, and it all gets clear cut. It all gets graded out. You know, the trees are gone, the environment's gone, the trout stream's dead now. And it's all because somebody wanted to make uh you know, 80 lots of cheaply made condos to make a quick buck and the condos are going to fall apart in 15 years. You know what I'm saying? And there's no reversal on that. Like it, and you know, it, me and Ethan have said this before too, you know, we would rather see, or all of us have said this before rather. Um, but I had this conversation with Ethan where we would rather see something get mined and just, you know, we would rather see the land get stripped and mined before we'd rather see it You know, before we saw it get developed, you know, with a bunch of just cheaply made condos or, you know, cheap development houses and apartments and stuff like that, where, you know, in 15 years, well, there, a lot of them are going to be under, you know, they're going to need severe repair, people aren't going to do them, they're probably going to change hands two or three times. And originally, it was all so somebody can make a quick buck, right. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that we see in the area now, as far as just the general detriment of wildlife and trout streams now like i say the only way you can stop that from doing i had an old boss tell me this surveying if you want to stop that from happening you buy it obviously you can't always buy the land right Mm -hmm. um and that's another just harsh reality people are going to buy land people are going to develop it it's totally legal for them to do there's nothing wrong with them doing it um and you know it's just that's that's also one of the things that we see a lot of too and you know i'm not saying this to put down anybody that does this or anything but a lot of times the people that that do that Aren't always thinking about that little brook trout stream that's running through it, right? They're not always thinking about the environment that's around it, and you know, just kind of talking real here for a minute. That's that's a lot. That's a huge detriment to at least one, two, three, four, probably five different streams in the area that I can name off. Um, and if not the stream, entirety of the stream, a good portion of the stream was literally you know killed of of or has become void of most of its trout life, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's tricky because that's a thing. Yeah. There's, and again, to kind of point in the other direction, you know, one thing if you look back at this area and look at pictures of it, um, from like the 1920s, um, like especially like where me and Mitch grew up, up in Mitchell County, um, most of the land there was clear cut. Right. Like you look at it all, and it was just virtually Nothing. I mean, they went for the through, Civil War. Yeah, after the Civil War, this place got logged very extensively, right? And as a result of that, it wiped out a lot of native speckled trap populations, right? Um, a lot now, of
0: which still exist by a miracle. By a miracle. But.
2: Well, that's that's the thing, though. Is is that a lot of these things that we see have massive, in the grand scheme of things, short term detriments and when i say short term i mean like 200 years short term right right? like not like 10 years short term like there are streams like that get developed right right and and they get clear cut and whatever um there is a chance and a possibility for those places to come back over time now some of them can't some of them never will right there are others though i mean you look at our trap fishers here Like, a lot of places within Pisgah National Forest were once clear-cut. Yeah. Right? And Mm -hmm. now they're healthy trout streams, but it took over a 100 years for them to be reestablished. Right. um, Because things grow very slowly around here. Like, uh, for example, an oak tree that was maybe only a diameter of – it was not so big that I couldn't wrap my arms around it. Right? It fell down. I cut it up to get some firewood off of it, and I counted the tree rings on it, and it was over 400 years old. Yeah. Right. And it was an old tree despite its size. Right. It awesome. And so, you know, it's like things just grow very slowly around here and it takes a long time for things to, even if they do come back, to come back. Right. right? And so,
0: and I think, you know, we're. And if that all happened at once on every stream. Then it know. would, then would be really bad. Right. Thankfully. But it's not going to happen that way. Right. We but, have enough know.
2: protected land around here to where that won't happen. Yeah. Thankfully. Like there's enough land within Pisgah National 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 Forest to where, Knock on wood, that will never be anything we have to worry about. But what happens is, is despite that protected land, you know, there's a ton of people fishing, but there's only so much protected land, right? So that leads to is a whole nother issue of places is getting too much pressure, um, which is another topic. Totally another different topic. Another topic for another time. <laughs> we're kind of um, straying away here. but But, you know, with that all being said, you know, that's, again, the reason why we're pushing all this advocacy is that, you know, you can build a house on the side yeah. of the hill, on the side of there the mountain. There is no problem with that. It right. just has to be done in such a manner to where it doesn't affect the right. surrounding environment. There's several places that are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's some parts of the Watauga River towards Boone, for example, that are pretty heavily developed, but it's still got trout in there. Right. Right? And, again, that's just from people, like, if, I've noticed some of the houses up there are built way back off the riparian zone. Mm-hmm. Right? And there, there are laws and regulations that say you cannot build or put anything like, I mean, septic's a great example, right? You can't mm-hmm. have a septic within, like, a certain distance within a stream. Yeah. You know, there are things that are put in place, but again... The EPA on... does exist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all... The thing, though, is that's on paper. Yeah. And it's a whole other different thing to implement it, but thankfully, most people do implement yeah. it. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether it gets implemented or not. Right. And I think it's more of a... At least in my opinion. I think it's more of a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, not all houses that are built are going to destroy a trout stream or anything like that. But, again, it just has to be done right. And, you know, like like you were saying, Mitch, I think we are on the uptick now where most people are starting to be more environmentally conscious. And what I mean by that is not just putting solar panels on a roof or something like that. It's it's about disturbing the land as little as possible and living with it. I think it's the biggest thing is that... um, we need to learn how to live with nature instead of against it, because ultimately nature is going to win in some way, shape, yes. or form. Um, it's
0: like they said in Jurassic Park. Yes,
2: nature finds life finds a way. Um, <laughs> and there's also another saying in the biological world is that um, nature hates a void. Yeah, um, that you can't have something not being there. So systems yeah. over time can repair themselves. But it takes a long. It time. takes a very long time. So, and in wh- the
0: process, you can't get out and enjoy it. Exactly. So yeah. it's gonna you're, you'll you'll <laughs> so, be long
2: dead and gone by the time yeah. that happens. So right again. That's that's the reason why we're doing this and why we we do everything that we do is to try and to try and help protect the places that we fish and guide on. So that way, like I said, we can have them for generations to come. Right. And exactly. it's all you know to be like we were saying earlier. It's all good stuff so far. I mean. It's it's been really good starting this. I've like we just did a big trash pickup with with crane crane resistaflex. Yes, thank yep, and, and we we shout out them in an earlier podcast and yep. we can't thank them again enough for coming out there with us and picking up trash yep. with the Shout that out was, Peggy and the crew. Yes, yep. the y'all were incredible. We yep. had a phenomenal time. Mitch was out there. Living in a swamp for yeah. the most part, we thought we were going to stay there, yeah. but chin I told him deep. I, he was bound, he and, was determined. Yeah. bound yeah. and determined
1: with the frogs, bound and determined
2: to pick up every tire he saw in there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. Yep. And yeah. I mean, his T- G got to be what, what was G3 waiters.
2: Yeah, my
1: Sims G3 waiters. It's the hardest I've ever seen you work, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never saw me work a real job before I started guiding, so. <laughs>
0: That was, uh, (laughs) no, it it
2: was all good stuff. I mean, we just that little how long of a stretch did we hit? Like, not even a quarter mile, maybe
1: it was probably 200 feet. It might have been like, yeah, maybe a football field, if that, yeah. Oh, yeah, because a
2: couple guys walked down the road, right? That's right, yeah. But most of the trash we found was in that little, like, like you were saying, like two or 300 feet section, and yeah, that's when I had it's like 80%. That's when me and Paul both had Silverados, and we filled our beds up full, yeah, bed loads full, yeah. and
0: that was awesome yeah that was a that was a really great day uh being able to work with them and that was our very first um i guess you could say merger with a company Mm -hmm. so if i'll go ahead and throw this out there if there are any companies any organizations anything um you know any, any any companies any organizations out there that would like to partner with us um there are ways for you to reach out to us uh, through the website, through email. Um, really, at this point, if you wanted to just shoot Paula DM through Instagram <laughs> and make like a cold call um, and, you know, you wanted to get involved with what we do as far as river cleanups go, uh, definitely contact us through that. Like I say, through the guide service email, preferably through the nonprofit email, um, you know, give us a call, um, anything of that nature.
1: Yeah. And our URL is saarivercoalition.org. Coalition yes, and if you did not want to pick up trash and just wanted to make a donation we have a donation form on the website that's very easy to use uh, we'll send you a form yeah uh,
0: that is saa river coalition saa rivercoalition.org
1: yep 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 very easy to make a donation there and then we'll send you send you a follow up form for tax purposes um, but yes yeah yep. and, and
0: we sincerely too. appreciate it we greatly, really greatly,
1: greatly appreciate it. Um, and the thing is, is
0: like I say, you know, these these donations go to help us to make this thing bigger to so we can make a greater impact. Um, like I say, it's a nonprofit. Nobody profits off of this thing. The nonprofit just gets help. You know, it just gets pushed further to where we can continue to do these things, um, achieve all these goals that we talked about earlier, and um, generally make... The place, a better place to be around, a better place to live, and a better place to get out there and enjoy. So, yes. all right, guys, whoo, that was a big one. Um, <laughs> we're really stoked about that one. Uh, we're really, you know, excited to present that stuff to you guys. Um, and like I say, you know, check us out at SAA River Coalition on Instagram. We have a website, of course, saarivercoalition.org. Uh, where Paul said you could make a donation. Again, we would give you a form for that for tax purposes. Um, And also, if you want to just get involved with us and do a river pickup, like say, hey, you know, we're this company here, or, you know, hey, we're this individual here who has this small business, whatever it is, and be like, hey, you know, there's a place that we know on a watershed or, you know, a piece of environment or wherever that is just completely trashed give us a call, let's make something happen and, you know, get out there and just try to do it. That's, that's the whole reason behind this nonprofit. Um, it's just to get out there and purify it, you know, um, preserve it and keep it nice for future generations. So, all right guys, all hearts and minds clear on that note, Paul, so. anything else you want to add as far as, uh, nonprofit information or anything that way or,
1: no, I think we pretty much covered everything. Okay. I was just thinking about um, the corporate trip that we had today, Levitron. uh down, yes. down, in, down in Morganton, we should uh, give them a give them some heads up and yeah. see if they'd like to volunteer with us sure. soon. Because that's yeah. uh, just do right down the way from uh, Crane. Yeah, no pressure Levertron. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 (laughs) no. Not at all. Yeah, not at all,
0: for real. Um, But, uh, yeah, like I say, guys, um, if you want any more information about that, please hit us up. Again, please visit our website at saarivercoalition.org. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and I think that's the only two places that the coalition's on, right, Paul? That's correct. Cool. So, all right, guys, so that's going to wrap us up for today. Next time, we're going to do free talk number three, Um, so stay tuned for that and again that's just going to be a little update on our lives a little update on how the fishing's been um updates on guide trips and everything else things we're excited for uh things we've been through (laughs) so um all right guys i think that's going to wrap us up for today and again like i say again stay tuned for that tight lines
1: this production is brought to you by southern appalachian anglers guide service in Asheville, north carolina where trusted guides provide exceptional service